The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, from John F. Kennedy, Bill Clinton, and Mark Sanford to Anthony Weiner, we can clearly see that power is indeed, as Henry Kissinger informed us, the ultimate aphrodisiac. And Franz de Waal's book, Chimpanzee Politics, tells us that it's not much different in the chimpanzee world. Not only are women attracted to powerful men in politics, but men are attracted to the power of politics and apparently think that sex is just part of the package. Unfortunately, when we want to read about what women in power will do with sex, all we can find are articles that tell us about the power of a woman's sexuality. But either way, power is the operative word. Last week, we opened the door to a longer discussion on what happens when we give our power over to another and tell ourselves then that they have all the power. We're going to explore that idea more this time with more on the steamy power of power. So what are you getting and giving from and to power? Or Another way of saying that is, what is your greatest power? So stay here today. We're going to have a uh, further and hopefully end this discussion on power. I ended last week's uh, discussion by talking just a little bit about Hitler, and I'd started the discussion with that as well. And I I think we need to go back to that because I didn't finish the thought there that uh, the reason that Hitler – I said at, at some point that if power wasn't the ultimate power of being true to who we actually are, then it had no power in the world either. And then I began talking about Hitler and said that, yes, indeed, he had um, uh, been able to disempower lots of different people and, and cause a great deal of harm to other people, and that certainly was some form of power. However, what I didn't do was finish that thought, and I want to finish that thought now. It looked like Hitler had a great deal of power, but actually what was happening was a lot of people were choosing to believe that he had all the power. And why that happened, we talked a little bit last time about the historical perspective from which that sort of mindset came from, came where, uh, where they were already so burdened with shame and guilt and a lot of chaos in the country and lots of riots in the street and things like that that they were just primed for somebody to come in and say, I've got you, just trust me. And they did. And so what they, what they figured out from that was that if they trusted Hitler, then he was going to shame somebody else instead of them, and they would then be okay. And they would not only be okay, but they would be considered to be a superior race. So um, from time immemorial, we have divided up our world into various countries and various hi- hierarchies. 
And uh, why have we done that? Well, we talked just a little bit in the intro about what men do with politics and what women do. It's still, unfortunately, very true that when a man is in politics, one of the things that seems to come with the package is that he gets to have lots of women. Um, and, uh, and now that's not true with everybody. Uh, I, there are people I could name on my on both my hands that would I do not think would ever do such a thing. But there are a lot of men who believe that if you are are in power, uh, you also get the, what comes with that package is a lot of uh, being able to have sex and uh, uh, with a lot of different women. On the other hand, when we talk about the power of women. What you get is article after article after article about how powerful a woman's sexuality is over a man. Okay, so first of all, that leaves out all the other options for a woman's sexuality. In other words, she only can be interested in having power over a man with her sexuality, not necessarily another woman. But that's how that's how it's viewed in the sort of the mainstream cultural uh, ethic about what's going on with a woman. A woman, uh, according to this data that I'm getting, a woman can have power. Only if she has sexual power over a man. A man can have power uh, over lots of things. And part of that power means that he gets to also have power over lots of different women who will have sex with him. So that's how sex and power have gotten really skewed way off topic when it comes to this issue of power. Um, and, and the truth is, and I want to say this now and I'm going to say it again in the end, there is no power unless it is personal empowerment. Choice, as we said last week, is the final arbiter. Choice is what gives us power. We have the power to choose. And very often what gives choice its power is the power to see clearly what's really going on. And that's what, what part of our problem is, is that we choose not to do that. What is really going on is this. I am empowered with all the power I need to accomplish my life according to my life's go- my authentic self life goals. So I have all that I need to accomplish that inside of me. That is not, however, what we've been taught. And part of the reason why men have been given so much power is because the externalized masculine archetype was was given power to externalize all of life from the get-go in the metaphors that we read about in our ancient sacred texts. So here's how that went. Um, I'm going to use the metaphors of the of Christian Bible and the Jewish Tanakh, and and also some of the Muslim texts also cite this as well. the The idea is that there was an Adam and there was an Eve. There was a masculine archetype in in Adam, and there was a feminine archetype in Eve. The masculine archetype is this: um, I can take what is inside of me out into the world and manifest it. So. I must have the feminine archetype first, which me, and that's not first in terms of priority or order, but first in terms of that's got to be there. In other words, I can't grow an apple tree without a seed. The seed, in this case, is the feminine archetype, which is that I can go inside of me and find out all the things that are in there. I can go in there and be with what is inside of me and and uh, treasure it and grow it and feed it and all of that, nurture it. 
That's the feminine archetype. The masculine archetype takes that what is found in the inside and manifest it externally. So if I have a great deal of creativity inside of me, the masculine archetype would take that outside of me and and allow me to use that creativity in the world, be it through uh, architecture, art, um, you know, teaming up with lots of people, creating projects, all kinds of things. I can use that creative potentiality to do, but I have to have the creative potentiality first and then it gets carried out into the world. The way that went in the story as we read it in the Bible, the Christian Bible, the Jewish Tanakh and some of the other sacred texts of the world is that Adam was created first. So externality was created before internality. Um, And so what does that mean in terms of what God thinks? Nothing. (laughs) It means nothing. This is a metaphor. It's a story that man tells about how we came to be and how we come to understand ourselves as human beings. So... um, so it, that doesn't mean that man is first uh, and women is, a woman is second, although that's how it's been translated in a very literal fashion. What it does mean is that um, when it came time for Adam to name all the animals, he named them from an external perspective without having a feminine perspective. So naming is all we have the real power to do. Everything else is already done. It's created. All we get to do is name it. And it was all done from an external perspective, which means that our view of life was already being skewed along the lines of the external before the feminine perspective came into play. Then the feminine perspective came into play, and it was joined with Adam, and, and joined with the masculine perspective, and meant to be to operate together after that. However, the world had already been named according to an external perspective. And then when Eve internalized the, the, uh, the hypnotic trance state of duality and she took it back to the man and the man also ate of that in terms of internalizing that externality, uh, that uh, duality, then what happened was he manifested duality. So what's happened in our psychology is that we began to believe that we were separate from the divine when we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now we've manifested that externally. So the external manifestation is that having already been named by the external is all external. So we have a really, 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 really hard time going internal and finding what's in there so that we can bring it outside. So now our idea of power is not an idea of an internal power. It is an idea of an external power because we believe we're separate from the divine and that all of our life it consists of operating in the external world in a way that will keep us alive. We don't really know that what's keeping us alive is what's internal. Our, our, our body and all the organs and all, uh, you know, the the lungs, the heart, the circulation, the digestions, all of the nervous systems, all of these systems are working together at a very um, baseline cellular level to keep us alive, period, end of subject. Now, what's going on behind those is a soul, a soul that is pushing the energy of those to operate. And when we get down to the quantum level of what's happening in the body, what we begin to see is that there's an invisible force 
pushing the body to do what it does. And it is that invisible force that is the soul that, that really does orchestrate the power of our lives. So we're not surviving based on how many manipulations we can arrange in the world, although that's what we think. We're surviving because our soul says, you're going to be here for this amount of time and, you know, I really want you to be alive and so your body's going to function in a way that, uh, that allows that to happen. And when we're done, we're done. It's time to go. And that's, what the way, that's the way survival happens. It doesn't happen from the external to the internal. We've got it all backwards. And why? It's because we believe that we're separate from the divine and we believe that the, all of life should be named according to the external, its external manifestation. Those two things working together make it very difficult for us to see that power is not anything like what we think it is. So here's what happens from that perspective, from that externalized view of power. What happens is a man will walk in the room with another man who happens to be CEO and immediately begin to defer to that man. Uh, Immediately begin in some fashion to think that his survival is based on whether or not he can get this man to like him. So... I'm Mike, and I'm the CEO, and I'm looking over here at Jim, who's this obsequious person who's just walked in the room with me, and I get to decide his fate. I think that, and he thinks that, and we agree under the table to continue to think that. Therefore, I maintain the power. That's a neat trick, isn't it? It's all a game, though. It has nothing to do with reality. There is no power except eternal internal power, and, of course, it's also eternal power. Um, the soul, the energy from within, is what creates our truest power. So when, when somebody who's really in touch with that, be it a woman or a man, it doesn't matter which, whether it's a, uh, which gender it is, if somebody's really in touch with uh, that internal sense of power, they operate from a whole different level. Will some people try to be obsequious to them and kiss up and do all the things that you're supposed to do? Yes, because they still perceive that person as having power over them. But actually, that person has no power over anyone else but themselves. Period. How did Hitler gain power? Many people allowed him to gain power. They all agreed under the table with him to give, hand, them, hand him carte blanche their sense of power over their own lives. And we do that in America, too. We hand to the government our power over our lives and we say, here, you take this. I don't want to have to think about it. And then when they act like politicians act very, very often and dishonest and, and aggressive and um, uh, propagandized ways, um, and I use the propaganda word instead of the lying word, uh, but they are the same thing. Uh, when they act in those ways, we criticize them and we laugh at them and we mock them for doing that. And yet, we gave them that power to do that. So really, who are we mocking? We're mocking ourselves because we've given them the power to run our lives and then criticize them for doing it or in their own way, in their own screwed up way very often. So uh, this, this thing of power means that if I'm that CEO, Mike, and I want to have sex with that woman over there, then that woman over there believes that I have that power and that I'm much more attractive because I have that power. And why? Because my, my 
if I'm the woman now, I my my sense of myself as a woman is going to be enhanced by the fact that I've get, been able to manage to grab hold of this very powerful man who has power over a thousand employees and, you know, or maybe a nation or maybe a whole state or, you know, I'm with this man and I'm, you know, merging with him in, so, in, a, in this sexual union that says that I'm somehow getting that power too. It's rubbing off on me. Now I have power to tell people what to do and they'll do what I want them to do. And it's all an illusion. It means nothing in terms of what's really going on between us in the real world of the soul. So when you find somebody who is in touch with their soul, again, be it a masculine gendered person or a feminine gendered person, that person operates at a different level. He or she operates from the internal and gives that to the external, not vice versa. They don't operate from the external and hope the internal will like it, (laughs) which is what most of us do. Uh, So what that would look like is really interesting. Um, It would look like a person who knows how to make decisions that aren't necessarily coming from how popular they will be after they make that decision. Um, they may be popular or not after they make that decision, but they're not making that decision based on that. They're not making that decision based on whether or not somebody else thinks that decision is right or wrong. They're basing that decision on their own internal um, guidance system. Now, that doesn't mean they won't listen to other guides. They can collect all kinds of information from other people. And that is why the president has a cabinet, so that he can have all these guides who can give him information that, uh, that he can't get anywhere else. And, uh, and so he's, they're supposed to give him the information, and then he's supposed to make his own decision based on that information. Now, of course, we know that in crooked politics, people can give uh, skewed or faulty information. We also know that in politics, there is a lot of game playing and manipulation and power mongering going on that has nothing whatsoever to do with an authentic decision. Uh, so very often, our, poli- our decisions that are made at the highest levels are not based on anything like a soulful, reflective response, but rather based on an agenda that uh, gathers together a group of people that will continue to give me power or will allow me to get some money behind it or will allow me to uh, uh, see myself more as a powerful person. In whatever way, uh, what I'm doing is, is I'm, you, I'm on the backs of the people that support me. I am pumping myself up and making myself into this uh, illusion of power. So... Um, in terms of uh, what we can do about that, uh, well, what we can do about that is begin to operate out of our own internal power. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the steamy part of power because I said I was going to talk about that and I'm going to. We're going to talk a little bit more about that right after the break. So you want to be here for, for, the, here for the steamy part. <laughs> be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
when you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness, and the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters. Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality. Live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, a doctorate, or a ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a PhD, a doctor of ministry, or in the Holistic Theology program, a Doctor of Theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are Holistic Theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to your effort to learn. They run through a broad scope of life issues, and uh, they enable the minister or the servant or the counselor or the coach to be able to serve humankind afterward in a way that uh, reaches out into the various holistic approaches to care and service. So what this means is, is that in some of your coursework, you start at the introductory level and move all the way to the advanced level as you move through your degrees. For example, in the Holistic Theology program, you can take Judaism 1, 2, and 3 with each level offering a greater depth of understanding. Or in the Parapsychology program, you can take Psychic Skills 1, 2, and 3. Those are just a few examples. 
You can get the whole picture by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality. Utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, as well as to become credentialed to bring their own unique gift to the world. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. Do you want to know more? Go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So today we're talking about power. We're, having, we're on a second uh, day of talking about this, and we started last week with the issue of power, and we said it was sexy. So right now we want to talk about that steamy part of power. Why are power and sex so closely aligned? Well, for the same reason that power and religion are so closely aligned. The issue is power. Sex uh, can be all about power. In fact, relationship can be all about power. Religion can be all about power. Um, Any dynamic between two people be it sex, be it uh, a conversation with your boss, be it a conversation with a friend, be it a, conversa- be it a conversation with a sort of global committee or a co- global event. Either way, it is very often reduced to power. And I say reduced because it is a reduction. Because the whole idea of power is, is an illusion. No one has power over anyone else ever. Let me say that again. No one has power over anyone else ever. Regardless of what it is that my boss wants me to do, I still have a choice about whether or not I'm going to do it. Regardless, even, I mean, we think in the most horrible criminal, criminal situations, uh, such as rape. And, and here's what I'm not saying. I want to be very careful here because I don't want to say, intimate that the woman is in any way responsible for her rape. Or, uh, or any victim of, of rape is responsible, whether it's a man or a woman, is responsible for what the rapist does. They are not. But I, I do want to say that the choices that a person makes when they're getting raped uh, very often save their lives. So even then, we have some choice about what we're going to do. So when, when people go, well, I should have done X, Y, and Z after they've been raped, very often their counselor will say to them, you did what kept you alive. And uh, that's their, what their choices amounted to is you did, the only thing you have to do in a rape is survive. That's all you have to do is survive. How you do that doesn't matter. You chose a path that you thought would work for you and it did. So, but here's the thing. It came down to choice. And if we tune in during those times of crisis, and they are terrible crises, um, if we tune into ourselves and choose according to what our internal messages are telling us, then we might just really make it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, This thing about power and sex means that, I said a little while ago that a, a person who has 
sex with a powerful person in order to be close to that power makes the uh, makes the sex all the steamier because there's a merging that seems to be taking place um, uh, that is all about um, now I'm going to have some power too. So, so and and the man it, it becomes sexier for the man, and I'm using the man in this in this instance. It could be a woman, although that is rarer for the woman to be in power and to to think that she has the power now to have sex with anybody she wants. That it does happen, and it happens way more frequently than it used to. But it still doesn't happen as many times as it happens that a man would be in power and have sex with lots of different women. So I want to open up the gender conversation there and say it could be either gender. But what happens is when the person who has the power believes that he is taking power over someone, there's something very steamy about that as well. So what happens with regard to sex and power is that, for example, in religion, very often sex gets mixed up with, uh, with the power in religion because religion very often becomes power over another person so i can make you believe what i believe and you will be my my person i will own you in some kind of way because now i have captured your mind and therefore now i can have sex with you anytime i want and that's going to be really steamy and hot to me and it might even be steamy and hot to the other person although it could also feel like rape to the other person so uh the the reason it gets all hot there and I want to be really clear about this. The reason it gets all hot there is because there's a psychic transfer taking place. Um, it's not just about an exchange of bodily fluids. It's about an exchange of power, an exchange of electric kind of power that says, oh, now I've got some. Oh, now I've taken it from someone else. So that's what makes it so hot. Now, when you look at it that way, it looks a lot less mm, seamy. <laughs> doesn't it it looks a lot less important it looks a lot less valuable it looks like an illusion because that's what it is it's an illusion two people playing out the drama of a fairy tale and the the drama of the fairy tale says i've either taken some of your power or you've taken some of mine or both and in that exchange what what goes on is that um both people have lost touch with their truest power and that's the sad part both people are living into an illusion that says i've either gotten some of your power or you've taken some of mine or i've given you some of mine or one of those things and it it literally means that i have sacrificed my own truest power to join you in this dynamic at least temporarily so what is my own truest power well in order to have true empowerment, I have to know who I am. I have to know at least moment to moment what's going on inside of me enough to be able to access it, get information from it, and then make a decision. So people say an informed choice is, is one of those legal terms. We make an in- informed decision. Uh, when people come to my private practice to, to do therapy, they have to sign a form that says that they uh, that they've been informed about what goes on in therapy and what the payments are and what the agreements are and what therapy really is all about, et cetera, et cetera. And so now they've they've signed what's called an informed consent. All right. So they've consented based upon the information that I've just given them 
to allow me to treat them. So in that same way, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of consent that happens within us as we listen to our own power. We consent. We agree to hear from ourselves or we agree to blind ourselves to what's going on inside of us and listen instead to the external world. So that, that choice right there that happens very quickly, so, so quickly sometimes that we don't even recognize that it's happening, that choice uh, makes a huge difference in terms of what's really going on um, in a room, in any dynamic. So, okay, in a moment... Say I'm walking in the room and my boss is in the room and I have a choice. Am I going to believe that my boss has all the power or am I going to believe that he has no power over me, he only has power over himself, and I have power over myself? That's my choice. And I make it every single day, every moment of every day when I encounter another individual. And I make it when I'm all by myself. Because in my thinking, I could be making decisions, planning and plotting my life out as if the external world has power over me, when in fact, I'm the only one with any power. So this issue is huge in terms of its consequences. It makes all the difference in what we do with our lives. Do I believe what goes on inside of me, or do I believe only that the external world has all the power? to make my decisions for me. When people come into my office and say to me, and they very often do, you don't understand, I had no choice. What they're saying is, I decided a long time ago to turn off any awareness I had to the power of my own choice and decided to live in the external world and let it enslave me. Let it make me into sort of a prostitute to it so that it would keep me alive if I would perform X, Y, and Z. It would give me money if I would perform X, Y, and Z. And that's how I live. One of the, one of the uh, passages in the Bible that I, that I really like, and it's not just in the Bible, it's in the Bhagavad Gita, not the same passage, but the same information is in the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas and um, some of the uh, Sufi uh, texts as well, that uh, we are being provided for all the time. The, the story in the Garden of Eden is that uh, when, um, when, they began to, when the rains began to happen, they only happened after people began, uh, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because the metaphor there is they began to believe that they were uh, separate from the divine and therefore the, the weather changed to accommodate for that belief. Prior to that time, the earth was watered by its own, you know, it just watered itself every day. It didn't have to have rain. So that's how it really is. It really is that we're being watered all the time. We're being fed all the time. We're always being taken care of. But we don't believe that. And therefore, we operate as if the external world is our savior. And we must do what it wants us to do or else we will die. And that's how all of us are living. We're all living that way. So when we point our fingers at a prostitute and say, that evil person, that bad person, we need to look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, I've prostituted myself all of my life. Uh, Answering to people who say, this is what you should do, whether you like it or not, 
And if you do it, then you'll get to stay alive. You'll get to have your money. You'll get to have your house. You'll get to have your image. You'll get to have whatever it is that you think you have to have to survive. And so that's how we live. And that's how power gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So here's the deal. If you don't like your politics, then do something about your politics, your own politics. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about writing letters to the op-ed departments, although those, those are nice too. I'm talking about what are you doing in your everyday world with your politics right now, today. Politics happens on every level. Every time you shake somebody's hand, you're, a, you're in a political arrangement with that person. Politics happens in your office. You know, people go, oh, sh- politics is everywhere, blah, blah, blah. There's all these this drama going on in my office and these people are backstabbing and they lie and they did la 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 that's the politics of the office so there's politics going on at every level in every echelon of our lives so what um, what are we doing with that when I shake your hand am I agreeing quietly under the table to do what you think I ought to do to please you so that you'll let me live or am I shaking your hand to say, I warmly invite you into my life. And if I, if I decide later that I don't want you in my life, then I have a choice about that too. Or I warmly invite you into my life because I, I really like you, I really care about you. And what, what will you bring to the table? And what you bring to the table, we will both eat in equal portion. What is really happening between us and other people? If you want the politics at the upper echelons to change, change your daily politics with your other people. That's how it will change. It starts at the grassroots. Everything starts at the grassroots. You can write letters to the op-ed departments, too. You can vote differently, too. You can, um, you know, march in the streets, go talk to Obama, write letters. You can do all kinds of things that you want to do. But until you change your politics, the politics at the upper echelons are not going to change. We have to change our definition of power and make it into what it really is. And to me, it's far sexier to believe that I have all the power to do with my life whatever it is that I choose to do with my life, given that my soul is in charge my soul, not your soul, not some religion, not some dictate of some authority figure of, other, of some kind, but my soul runs my life. My soul protects me. My soul manages me. My soul has given my body its impetus to keep going and going and going and going. That's what's really going on. That feels very sexy to me. So when I meet a person who's coming from their own power, I'm very attracted to that person, and not ne- not necessarily just sexually, but just for friends, you know, just for people that I want to people my life with. Those people are very important and uh, will play a role in my life because those are the people that I can trust because I know that they're coming from something authentic. They're not coming from an agenda that says, uh-oh, I better do this, or I might not be able to have my image, or I might not be able to have X, Y, and Z, the things that I think I must have in order to live. And living for many of us comes down to that kind of thing. And we're going to talk about that right after the break. So stay tuned for more. What does living come down to for you? This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
It has been foretold that this is a time of great change in the consciousness of the planet. What is the paradigm shift required to usher in a new reality? Join avatars Peggy and David as they introduce a new and fresh living spirituality which will stretch you and cause you to question everything you have learned on your spiritual journey. Tune in every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for The Avatars, ushering in a new beginning. And get ready for a provocative discussion that will challenge many of your most cherished spiritual beliefs. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Your path to wellness includes a body, mind, and spirit connection. Listen for Guidance from Above. You are not alone. Featuring your host, Joe Homar. Explore unknown parts of you. Access a vast array of possibilities that await you. Expand your energy field. Keep an open mind. Tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The answers you are seeking are within... Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're talking today about that great aphrodisiac power and what it means, what it is, what it isn't, and how we can shift our alignment with our own personal power. So we asked the question just before the break, what are we doing in our lives? What, 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 is it, what I really mean by that is, what is it in your life that you think you absolutely must have in order to stay breathing in and out? And by breathing in and out, I don't necessarily mean just literally breathing in and out. I mean metaphorically as well. I mean, what are the things that could shock you so much if you lost them that you just feel like you couldn't live without them? You just, you know, that would just totally demoralize you. Anything, and the way to find the answer to that is anything to anything that you are very afraid of losing, that's something you've identified with. And by identify, what I mean is you've attached your identity to it. And anything we attach our identity to becomes a part of what we think will save us. So, okay, what is an identity? An identity is who I think I am. It's not necessarily who I am, but it is who I think I am. And I have seen many identities change in my office as I've been doing the work I do for the last 30 years. As people begin to realize that, oh, 
Well, over here I'm acting like this, but over here I feel like this. Okay, so I'm I'm um, a, a ready example is one that of of a person who serves other people ad nausea and uh, is constantly thinking about other people, and yet they've built this uh, big, huge block of resentment that they carry around with them, and it, they drag it behind them like a ball and chain, and can use it over the head of anybody they choose, and whenever they get mad and sick and tired of doing for other people, so. Um, that's a fairly classic example of when uh, we're doing this over here and we just feel compelled that we've just got to keep doing it. When I talk to those people, I ask them, what would happen if you let go of trying to always do something for someone else? What would happen then? And you know the answer I get is very often, well, I wouldn't know who I am then. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do. And that in and of itself is so scary for them, just not knowing what to do is so scary that they'd rather kill themselves by keeping on doing that and make their life continue to make their lives miserable rather than change to let go of that and find out who they really are underneath all of that so that's the kind of thing i'm talking about it's just an example that it says we can attach ourselves to things and say i must have this i must keep doing this regardless of the cost because it is the thing that makes me feel like i'm alive so what is it that makes you feel like you're alive? What, may, what is it that makes you uh, believe that if you don't have it, you will not be alive? That feeling of being alive is, okay, well, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. But most of the time when we're doing that, we're, we're looking at our own and other people's lives through a gauze. You know, have you ever tried to look through gauze? Have you ever taken a bandage off of your hand or something, one of those big white, sort of uh, threaded uh, pieces of gauze that you can kind of see through and you look through them and everything is just kind of a little bit hazy because all those little white threads are keeping you from seeing really clearly. That's what it's like to live that life. And we don't know it until we stop living that life and all of a sudden life becomes clarity and we can see vividly the colors, the shapes, the designs, the, the intricacies of our own and other people's actions and interactions. And, and what happens then is that we're, we've awakened. We are now awake. We are now seeing with our eyes wide open. We never have done that before when we're living into an identity. We're living in an identity that's attached to something. This is how I have to live or I might die. That's an identity attached to a way of living. Okay? So we scare ourselves to death that way. We say to ourselves, well, this, this is going to keep me alive. This is what I have to do. And in our early childhood, those identities may really literally have kept us alive in terms of, you know, f- uh, feeling safe, that feeling of safety. Of course, I will go back again and say that it's really our soul that's keeping us alive all the time. It's not the things that we do to manipulate our world to try to get them to make us okay. But we do have that feeling as children that things are okay now. And a child really needs that feeling. So in that sense, they've kept, we've kept ourselves alive. But once we arrive, arrive in adulthood, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to take off that old identity and begin to live into something more true. But by that time, it's become so habituated that we can't even see the difference between that identity and who we actually are. And so we live it out, whatever that takes. If that means that I've got to uh, uh, live into continuing to use drugs and alcohol, 
then I'll do it. The more a person is identified with their addiction, the harder it is to break free of it. And that's an area that is not so much explored that needs to be explored, actually scientifically, where we begin to understand that the more attached I am to this person I become when I use, the the less likely it is that I'm going to stop using. So that identity factor is huge in addiction. And addiction of all forms, whether it's addiction to the compulsion to serve other people or addiction to the compulsion to to um, to be a superman or superwoman or the addiction to a compulsion to do bad things so that I can feel like I exist. Um, it's better to be bad, said the child, than it is to not exist because I don't seem to exist any other way to my parents. That thing. Uh, we can be very attached to that, and to that degree, that's how hard it'll be for us to let go of it. And so that attachment, the Buddha talked about attachment. He wasn't just talking about things, cars, houses, people. He was talking about identities. How attached are you to the identity you hold? How much of your life is run by that identity? And how, how scared are you of letting it go? That will t- the answer to those questions will tell you what the next step might be. And that is to say, okay, that's what I've lived out. Where is my true power? Is it in this? Because is this, this thing is probably not working for me. Uh, it's probably in my way. But my true power comes from accessing my truest feelings, my truest original thoughts, and beginning to make decisions out of those. My truest creativity. My truest sense of what's really going on in a room. So I won't just say, well, that's not really going on in the room. What, here, I just want this to go on so I'll pretend to myself that it is. Or I just want this to go on so I'll manipulate so that it does. Those things are not really living in your own power. The way to begin to live in your own power is to begin to live from your own authenticity. And the way to have any power to run your life as you want is to take that power. I heard somebody just yesterday saying that one of the things they really wanted in their lives was to have more control over their lives. I said, so what keeps you from having control over your life? And the answer was, well, these people, they just keep da 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 No, 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 that's not the answer. The answer is you're making a choice to give up your power in your life. So what choices are you making to give up that power? Well, when we begin to look at that, we begin to take responsibility. And by using the R word, I don't mean heinous you know, obligation or odious duty. I mean that we, we are able to say, I can respond to my own inner self. I have the ability to respond to my own inner self. That's what responsibility is. It's ability to respond. Responsibility is the ability to respond to my own inner self. So if I'm, if I'm doing that, then I'm going to hear myself going, you know what, there's a lot of trickery going on in this room right now. And I, I'm going to choose not to engage. I'm going to step back and not give away anything right now. I'm just going to step back and watch. And observe, and I'm going to really pay attention to what I'm feeling about what goes on in this room and let myself see how it feels. So that piece, that piece that says, I want to know the truth, is a way that we gain power over our lives. Um, 
I I don't have a lot of friends. I hear people say that all the time. I don't have a lot of friends, or I don't have any friends. Um, And I, you know, well, what do you do? So what are you doing about getting friends? Well, you know, I come home at night and I watch TV and not much. (laughs) Well, if you want some friends in your life, you might have to do something about that. They're probably not going to come knocking on your door and say, hello, I'm here to be your best friend. Um, so we have to do something about the needs that we have inside of us. But what we're doing and what we've been taught to do is to wait for the external world to give it to us because when it does, then it's okay because the external world is our God because it is, it is the thing that saves us. If the external world doesn't save us, well, we just don't get saved. And that is so far from true. And so that is how dictators get in power. That is how uh, men in power get to have sex with lots of women and, and lots of other people help them keep that a secret. That is how Anthony Weiner thought that he was going to be able to send pictures of his private parts to, around to the world and everybody would just keep that a secret for him and he would be able to get back in office as the mayor of New York. That is how these things happen. and They happen because we blind ourselves to our own personal power and believe that the world is what we should have power over. And if we can gain power over the world, then and only then will we be okay. Okay? And people who feel like victims feel like, well, I can't gain any power over the world because the world's just too big, and so therefore I just guess I don't have any power. Of course you have power. You have all the power of every choice you ever made. That's been your power. And one of the choices you have is whether or not you're going to be willing to even see that. So that's how people stay in a victim identity. They choose not to see that. But choice is how they got there. Choice is how they got there. So choice is the operative word. What are you choosing? Are you choosing to look inside and ask yourself some questions? Brave questions, hard questions, honest questions, to really search your own soul and say, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing? So back in 2011, uh, a book that I wrote was published. It was called The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can. And in that book, I argue against the old theory of the law of attraction, whereby if I think positive thoughts and feel positive feelings, then the world will give me what I want. That's just another manipulation. And it says, I'm going to screw my internals around an external, and then the external will cooperate. I'm going to manipulate my internals to cooperate with what I think my external should be giving me, and then I'm going to be okay. That That is very skewed. So the real law of attraction is I'm attracted to and by all of those things, places, people, circumstances, and events that are going to bring me closer and closer to knowing who I am as a divine being. And it is in knowing who I am as a divine being that I have all the power to create the life I want. That's how that really works. So... And the same thing is true in Inhabiting Heaven Now, the book I wrote last year, that where we, we, we discover who we are through a process of truth-telling, and we begin to inhabit heaven now because heaven is already inside of us, and it has all the power. Marianne Williamson said several years ago in her book that uh, if we ever got to know the power that we have, we are such amazing powerful beings, and I'm totally misquoting her in saying it this way, but my paraphrase is that she understood that we have great power 
and we just don't access it. So that's what this show is all about. I'm encouraging you to begin to tell the truth to yourself so that you can have power over your life to create the life that is your soul's to create. That is the truest and the only power. Anything else you do in this world makes no difference whatsoever. Any inauthentic action that you have in this world makes no difference in this world makes no difference in changing this world because this world is filled up to overflowing with inauthenticity. But if you add authenticity to that, then the world is incrementally changed every time you do that. That's what you can do. So that's it for today. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking to Tom North. You know, the old movie that came out in 1968 called Yours, Mine, and Ours that starred Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda? Well, Tom North was one of the eight North children who came together with the ten Beardsley children to become the family which was featured in that film. They portrayed themselves as this very happy, functional family, but things were not at all what they were portrayed to be. And that's what he wants to tell us about and more about how to make that, make your life more like what you want it to be. So that's what we're going to be doing next week, talking to Tom North. Be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.